0: to me in the direction that
1: sure. I mean I don't know what you, you want to okay discuss, I, I'll,
0: I'll just ask you a few questions Sure, so, go ahead and, and obviously much of it is deals with the past and, and what it was uh, when what was well, I interviewed Paul McCartney and he talked about writing songs with John and then when that combination broke up uh, it was impossible for him to replace it what what did John what did he miss about being with the Was it interplay, songwriting? What was it, if
1: anything? Well, for John, it was like a divorce. And uh, I think that he was feeling very good about it, as if a a big weight was off him. And... um, and, but at the same time, uh, he was very proud of the, the group. He felt that there was not a group that would be compared to their group. And uh, also, he had an extremely high opinion about each one of them, which, is, which might be surprising. I mean, he used to say, well, they're very sort of intelligent kids, you know. Uh, the fact that they come from Liverpool, you think, but, you know, you think they they wouldn't understand these things? They do. You know, that sort of attitude. who's was always protective of them in that sense. I don't really think he had voiced anything that he really missed about the Beatles. Maybe that, that was because I was the other party that he got the divorce for, you know, or whatever. So I... But at the same time, oh, that's a very bad thing that I said, you know, like, he got a divorce for marrying me so it sounds yeah, like yes no, like that. that you know I, I, I was <clears throat> I fell into the trap right away about saying oh that, does that mean that you broke up the Beatles um, I didn't break up the Beatles the, the Beatles were getting very independent each one of them were getting very independent and um, Joan in fact was not the first one who's wanted to leave the Beatles Ringo one night with Maureen came to John and me and sort of said well uh, he wants to leave and also George was the next and then John Paul was the only one who was trying to hold the Beatles together but then again the other three felt that Paul was trying to hold the Beatles together as his band they were trying to they were getting to be like Paul's band, which they didn't like you. So that was, but so th- there was an incredible period of unpleasantness for John. So he was, in fact, delighted that he was out of it. I think that, in a funny sort of way, I felt the weight of it, weight of the breakup, because. He was communicating and having an extremely intense, stimulating exchange with three very intelligent guys, very quick guys. And now he expected all that to be replaced by me. And so our communication was very heavy. And it went very well, but at the same time, initially when we got together that he would go to the studio and he would be playing with the the other three. I had a little time off, in a way. But that was gone. You know.
0: Well, that had to be a heavy load to... Uh, it was a very heavy load, yes. But
1: also it was a challenge. You know. And also, I did understand the situation. It was um, like... <clears throat> Uh, Duke of Windsor announcing to the world yeah. that I, I am, you know, I am with this woman. Of right. course, who is not going to feel honored and and make sure that I respond to his expectation?
0: Well, there was also a dark side of that too. You were painted as a villain. There was Yoko that broke up. The How did you react to that?
1: Well, that was something that was going around in the world probably not just in whispers, in many loud statements, but <clears throat> we were sort of together and the closeness of it. And, of course, the people around us are not going to spell it out to us. <laughs> so, in a way, we were shielded and protected from that sort of street talk.
0: But you knew it was out there. Somewhere. Of
1: course, we were aware of it, but it didn't hurt me so much in the sense of somebody uh, who are personally close to us saying something nasty. You know?
0: Then when you, just before you started writing songs and you got involved in songwriting, did, did the chemistry, did, did John miss the chemistry between he and Paul? What What Paul explained to me is to sit opposite each other and watch each other. Sing.
1: Well, I think that was like uh, done a long time ago when they really wanted to be number one. At the time, that ambition of wanting to be number one together united them, and they really wanted to make a song together. There was that. <clears throat> John probably felt that he needed the the commercial side of Paul, and Paul probably felt that he needed the artistic side of John. But when they became successful, and I only met them after they were successful, uh, it was more like Paul calling John and the others, obviously, and so saying, okay, it's time to go to the studio, you got some songs, you know, ready, you know, <clears throat> and John, John John, was writing uh, quite a lot himself.
0: He was writing pretty much on his own. Pretty
1: much years. on his own, yes. Uh,
0: the... What, would, what had been your pre-meeting John? What had been your perception of the Beatles? Had you been a fan? Had you known very much about them?
1: I didn't know very much about them. Um, that seems to be something that nobody can believe, and most people keep saying, well, how dare she would say such a thing? Of course she must have known. It, said. Of course I knew be- the, the Beatles as the social phenomenon just like I knew about Elvis. But I, I knew very little about Elvis anyway. But um, I, I read the newspapers about these long-haired kids or something. Where were you living at the time? At the time, the first time I read something in the papers was in Japan. It was a very small article that said that that these four boys with, more uh, pair is it, you a know, uh, strange haircut, was becoming extremely popular, and then I think I just sort of <clears throat> scanned uh, some article in Life magazine when I was here. I think, but that's that you know the the big famous article about the Beatles in Life magazine. I just know that I didn't read it thoroughly or anything. It's just uh, there was something about Brian Epstein. I mean, a clever guy who made this group happen. And, and one of them was supposed to be very intelligent or something, you know, and that was John. <laughs>
0: that was John. Yeah. You've probably told it a lot of times, but it comes out different a lot of ways, too. How, how did you meet? I mean, that's such a trite question. But.
1: Well, as you know, that I met him when I was doing a gallery show in Indica Gallery, and it was the opening night. And uh, um, I'm sorry, i can changed smoke and I'm sure it's very unpleasant coming from LA and all that. Um, and it was about an hour before the opening and I was very busy trying to make sure that everything was all right. It was An hour before the opening in the gallery, to me, was like an hour before going on stage. So I was very busy and nervous. And uh, then John Dumber brought this guy in. And <coughs> I don't think John Dumber even, he definitely did not properly introduce me to John. They were just sort of looking around independently. And um, then John asked me a question about one of the paintings and if he could hammer a nail in. And I just sort of said, no, please don't. Because before the opening, and I don't want any nails in there. And John Denver was sort of, I want to drag or something. So I said, oh, okay, well then, uh, pay me five shillings, and you can. And that was just a ritual. I mean, it's not like I needed the five shillings. It was just on principle. I thought my paintings because there were statements, very conceptual, and there was no way of selling it. So um, about a month before that, I was thinking maybe the next show I would sort of ask people to pay for what they do to my thing. But I wasn't going to do that until he said, could I hammer an L in?" And I, I sort of tried that one, and he said, um, <clears throat> well, could I... Ham an imaginary nail in and tell you an imaginary money so I thought oh that's pretty good
0: <laughs> lock them up <laughs> mm-hmm. and you didn't know who this was
1: at the time I didn't
0: first impressions uh...
1: um, the impression was surprisingly I mean you know you talk about meeting so many people in a gallery show all the visitors and it was a show that was fairly um, word-of-mouth kind of known. Oh, it's not just word-of-mouth was written about etc. et so, And a lot of very interesting people came. But I did remember John because he had a very gentle kind of uh, warm look. And, and I don't know why, but I just sort of thought, well, if I'm not busy, And also, I was married then. But uh, to pity I could have an affair with a guy like this. But that's that, you know. I was more involved in my work at the time, and it wasn't the time to sort of start some energy-consuming affairs.
0: Later on, when when you did get together, uh, and he invited you into the recording process, or you got it. You must have had some insecurities about uh, going to start making records and writing songs with one of the world's leading inventive people. Uh, uh, Not at all. Never never had it. Well,
1: first of all, I started writing songs when I was about, before I was five years old, because I studied composition and classical composition and uh, played the piano. And was it when I was or something, uh, there's a kind of concert that you, all the students, uh, would show to their parents, you know, recital, recital kind of thing. <clears throat> and I, I, somebody just recently told me, a classmate of mine in Japan, said, I still have your song, you know. What's that, is
0: that thunder or
1: what is that noise? That's the uh, subway.
0: Whoa, <laughs> I was wondering what periods of thunder are going on.
1: And I was writing sort of 12-tone type of songs in Sarah Lawrence and uh, was heading into music so uh, pop songs seemed like such a relief I mean the chords are simple the rhythm is simple it's all four in the B I mean in a four in, in a bar and uh, lyrics I all just sort of da 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 da.
0: Who suggested to who that you start working together? Did John encourage you or did you push your way in there or ask to get in there?
1: I wasn't asking anything. I mean, I wanted to keep on doing my um, avant-garde work. And uh, I think John felt that we should do everything together in a way. And when I was asked to do a show in Cambridge. And this was something that uh, they asked me before we started to live together. And it was kind of the date was set and um, uh, Cambridge was expecting me to come and all that. And since we started to live together, I said, well, maybe I should cancel it because John didn't like the idea of me going out somewhere alone. I'm saying, no, you don't have to cancel it. Just tell them that you're coming with a band. <laughs> so I said that on the phone. And it turns out that John was the band, you know. Okay. So uh, he wanted to do everything all the way together. And... Um, Oh, well, you know, he when he's writing something, he would say, oh, give me a quote, give me a quote, or, you know, oh, give me something that runs with this, or whatever. And he just went into it naturally, I think.
0: How, how did you react, Yoko, to now you live with and eventually marry this famous person, and while you had been doing artistic work, you were certainly not a world figure at that point.
1: How well, I wasn't a world figure, but, you see... <clears throat> There are several things that were sort of misinformed, <laughs> to put it mildly. I mean, one is that when I met in Indica gallery, that, that one I said over and over again, John said over and over again. But then after John's death, just so that John cannot complain because he's not here, uh, a lot of people in England started saying, well, John said that uh, when he went to Indica Gallery, he was totally drunk, he was up all night and he was unshaven, this and that, you know, and if he wasn't, I mean, I, I hate men who drink, and I'm very good at smelling their breath and all that, and one, he didn't have a drink, I know that, and uh, he was well-shaven, he was looking his best. There was another gallery opening of Klaus Oldenburg in London, about two weeks after that, and I met him then, and at the time, yes, John was probably <laughs> up all night. I don't know what he was doing, but he looked like a totally different person, unshaven, looking very sort of uh, angry. <laughs> and he was, I just was amazed that this was the person I met in the in the Gallery. Now... Um, what was the question? And the
0: question was, how did, how did you take it being in the spotlight? Oh, yeah, that one, too. National, international. That's another
1: thing that is misinformed, that since we got together, they always said, oh, she was nothing in the avant-garde, she was just a hanger-on there, etc." But I was pretty much known in the avant-garde to the point that um, Gustav Metzger in London, when he um, did this, Destruction and Arts Symposium. He invited me there as a, as a guest artist, and he invited several artists from other countries as well. But um, I, myself, in my own way, was coming to a point where I was feeling that I explored all the things that I could explore in the avant garde world. And um, the initial excitement of really uh, exploring the uncharted land kind of feeling in the, the experimental art was over for me. And I was looking for something else. And also uh, in London I made the Bottoms film or whatever and that was just blown out of proportion. All my other delicate works nobody remembered and it was just Bottoms film, you know and every day was talked about in the newspaper, etc. I mean, in fact, in a way, <clears throat> uh, I was kind of ostracized by the avant-garde world by then because I was getting too famous for a serious artist, so to speak. And, but I wasn't famous enough for uh, the Lenin League, I suppose. The Beatles and that. So that's, that's it. it, it so you know, I was like in the middle, in hanging the middle. in the middle.
0: You, you had success, certainly recognized mm-hmm. in, in your recognized. Own work. But now the Daily Mirror and the Sun and the New York Post and or, that kind of press was something that had to be very difficult. They dogged you all over the place. Didn't they?
1: I don't know. Yeah. I just took it like an event, you like did. a happening, <laughs> you know. And the fact that I was able to do that was because I was with John and we had a very uh, interesting exciting and beautiful experience together and, and each day was a different experience and it was like I was busy uh, taking in all these experiences and information that I was not exposed to before and part of me was like well all artists are like that but I mean there's a side there's a writer's side or something that was observing all that you know and I'm thinking oh, it's interesting yeah
0: how was it when you first heard your music on the radio and realized people were buying something, even though you had been doing it for a long time, you were you're not up on the charts with some of those songs? How, how, how was that? Was that great satisfaction or took that inspiration? stride? Not really,
1: because I mean, obviously it was there because of John. Right. And also the songs that I, I was writing, yes, I mean, in my own way, I did try to put some poetry in there, et cetera, et cetera. But part of me still was thinking, oh, yeah, well, this is not like the complex 12-tone stuff that I was writing. It was more simple kind of thing. And there was still that sort of artistic snobbery in me that was saying, okay, well, this is, you know, one of those. You know. But then I started to realize what you can do with a song. You can really communicate with uh, people on that level. And it had its power, et cetera. Well, in other words, for me to learn... The power of pop song was... Um, well, it's hard. It's, it happened slowly. Mm-hmm. And... <clears throat> and I'm very glad that I experienced all that because if I didn't... If I hadn't met John, what I would have ended up being was one of those sort of artsy ladies, you know, in a tea party or something.
0: Patron, patroness of the arts. Of well, art, and or it art. may not be
1: patrons of art. I mean... <laughs> you know you keep thinking of me as uh, I don't know uh, somebody who is in the position of Mrs. Lennon rather than an artist you going to but yes I was an artist so probably I would have been uh, reciting my poetry to you know 20 people in a living room or something you know and um, or well I was more than that already when I met John but still there was that preciousness about gallery shows and and uh, the avant-garde, classical, come avant-garde music world, you know. And that preciousness was something that I was abhorring, and so I found my place, in a way.
0: Well, the, the next few years, from the time you got together till '75, that was one hell of a ride. I mean, people plastic on a van, piecing, lying do you, is much of that a blur, or are the things really sticking Yeah, I
1: suppose it's, it's it's a kind of blur. I mean, the point was, unless um, we just felt it came very easy with us, we wouldn't have done that, you know. Otherwise, we, we wouldn't have survived. <laughs> it was like, it wasn't that difficult for us to just do those things, and we just did it, you know?
0: The Canadian experience uh, was amazing in terms of the focus and the attention you got to the peace line.
1: I know. And that was just a a, a theater, avant-garde theater. And uh, a few people maybe in the New York art circle or something might have uh, understood that. But other than that, I don't think anybody understood it.
0: Did John love doing those things, too? Oh, definitely. Yeah, he had to, not yeah, yeah. do it, um, Then we had to deal with the album cover, the famous Tetragrammaton album cover.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you see, the thing is, <coughs> John and I, in, in our own way, were sort of, each of us, was uh, suffering from mannerism in that old world that we lived in. And I think that for him to uh, venture into other media like that was very interesting. The, the turmoil.
0: Medium, seemed, rather. The medium, the, the turmoil seemed to be going on all the time with the, the, the drug situation or the, uh, the immigration problem here. The, uh, but you you both seemed to be just zooming through it there at that
1: time. Well, the, the problem. The problems came from outside, not from within, and that's the only reason why we can, we we were able to cope with them, the way we did. If the problem, I think that castle can only uh, fall from inside, and the castle was uh, fine.
0: It was your relationship appeared to those who had any experience at all so intense yeah. and so genuine?
1: It was very intense, very genuine. I think that was the sa- savior for me—the saving grace.
0: And during this period, there was—did uh, you did you feel you were being criticized by the outside world at all for leading this beetle down the path? I thought, did you ever get that sense that the people were, were were knocking you for?
1: Well, definitely, there was um, a tendency of if we did something that. They didn't like it was me, and if it was something successful, it was John. There was that, of course. um, But it was a learning process. I really think that life is a a process of learning. And we are given, each of us are given the light in which we learn the things that we have to learn. And probably John and I had to learn those things. Especially me, probably, I had to learn experience of humiliation. <laughs> and and probably it was good, I don't think. Because otherwise I would have stayed as the proud yoga owner, you know. And it, it was good, good for my pride I think to to learn lessons like that.
0: How good how good a songwriter do you think you were or are, I mean, or, or were back then, back between seven and seventy five.
1: Well, I mean, you better listen to them and make yes. your own judgment. You know.
0: But you I mean,
1: that's the same thing with asking John what he thinks about his songwriting. I mean, the song means different things to each person, so I would know, I mean, I did my best. Or, I don't know, I did my best is not exactly the, the right expression, because it's something that came to me and I wrote something.
0: What, what happened between 1975 and 1980? people
1: were not making records, especially Oh, the Dakota Day, so to speak. Well, it wasn't like we weren't really doing anything. I always just tell the story, but Um, in the Western culture, they feel that, say for an artist that I struggled and and painted this painting uh, spending a whole year, then even if the painting is a total dud. You know, you think there's something to it. A year he spent, a year for this painting. You know, <clears throat> but um, there's a story about a lord, a Japanese lord, who commissioned um, <coughs> a painter to do a painting for him. And a year passed, and nothing happened. So the lord sent a messenger, and the painter said, "Oh, all right, just wait in the next room." and he just scribbled something and gave it to the messenger. So, of course, the messenger went back to the Lord and said, you know what he did? He, ha- he didn't have a painting ready. He just did it when I was there waiting in the next room. So the Lord was very angry and summoned the painter and said, well, I understand that you weren't ready for anything, and you just scribbled this thing while the messenger was waiting in the next room. And the painter was not perturbed at all, and he said, um, well, yes. But I spent a whole year preparing for this painting, and um, I'm sure that everybody knows how the Beatles wrote very fast songs. You know, they were very fast, quick in writing songs, and John was very, very quick. Um, And. I was too. I and mean, it was just, you know, the fact that we were like that, the fact that we just went on doing things, you know. Um, as if things, that, things happen in the spur of the moment. doesn't mean necessarily that they were bad or good. It's just, it's a way of doing things. You know? uh,
0: was there ever a chance that they were ever going to get together again? Everybody, so many people in the world were trying to put pressure on them to... Get together once, twice, make a record, a concert. Was there
1: ever ever close to it? Well, John was adamant that he just would not want it to repeat the past. And I don't know. Maybe Paul might have felt that he wanted to get together. Um, but on on the side of John, I think it was very adamant. And at one point, when we were separated in 1974, I think, between 1973 and 1975, like 18 months or something like that, I think it was a marvelous chance to see if Joe wants to go back to the Jesus. But he had no, no desire for that. And in fact, he immediately got so accepted to do something together and then I think she was thinking of doing something with Harry Nielsen or something like that but it seems like it never crossed his mind
0: that one and was it ever discussed in the early on uh, after they had broken up in 1970 or really for all intents and purposes uh, did, did he ever discuss much about it because there certainly was a cry to put them together get them back together again
1: you see I think John was right I think John had an instinct that if the Beatles went on and on, and of course, in, in the, the later stage of the Beatles, it was very difficult anyway, and the Beatles did remember that that time, that period when it was very difficult. If the Beatles went on and on, <laughs> even logistically, there was some difficulty. Because uh, in early days, Paul and John wrote the songs rather John and Paul. <laughs> and uh, George didn't write much. And Ringo especially didn't write at all. But then George started to write a lot of songs. So in the end, it was like, who's going to get the space? And John was really trying to um, protect George and not ignore him and put as many songs of George as possible. but simply there wasn't much space for them in one album and they can't keep on making double albums. So in a way all three of them were sort of outgrowing the Beatles and then Gringo was getting interested in films and George was more interested in playing with Shankar. and in fact I mean that was very very logical because in the group George is still George Ringo is Ringo. But when they go outside, Ringo is the beetle and George is the beetle and they're treated differently. And in fact, George did mention that to us. You know. I feel much more comfortable playing with those guys because they understand me and this and that. But you know, here I'm like treated like a, a backing group of Paul. And that was the kind of complaint that was expressed many times. So... In the beginning, initially, where when um, all four of them probably were much more insecure, they were sort of compromising uh, and just uniting to uh, make it. And then when they made it, of course, they blossomed, and each one of them became the king. So there was no; it was very difficult then to unite and do something together.
0: For those of us in the business, we pray they didn't get back together again because it would never have been the same.
1: Well, also, um, I think that John's feeling was that there was such a myth about the Beatles, and if they did get back together again, uh, it wouldn't have been the same. And I think the uh, other three felt that way, too, uh, slowly. Leave uh,
0: it alone. uh, Later
1: than John's understanding about it, but... Eventually, they started to feel that way. And also, um, John kept saying that if we we had kept playing like that, we would have died in public, crumbled in public. And by not doing that, the
0: The myth goes on. We became a myth, which probably is true. It's true. uh, You're now selling compact discs of, of that time and that group that had been smirched by seeing four people who couldn't get it back on together again well, so much of that would have dissipated mm-hmm.
1: so you know I, I was not intending to en- do anything really I mean I was uh, part of that big thing that happened and and uh, kind of uh, being shoved around just as much as all of us, you know. But you can't have it both ways. If you're going to blame me for breaking the Beatles up, you should be thankful that, uh, <laughs> you know, I made them into a myth rather than a crumbling root, you know. But I mean, of course, I think that's a joke. But I think everything happened in a way that was good for all of us.
0: The double fantasy album was a marvelous album. I and mean, you really had
1: uh, what I did then was uh, John told me that she's not going to do an album without me. And my feeling was if I did uh, last it up for John by making music that is too far out, then I would <coughs> uh, feel, not only feel guilty, but I would never live it down. So I was very careful in writing... Songs and putting songs that were more acceptable than something that was very experimental.
0: Were you happy with it, uh, even though they were, you were writing to make them acceptable? Were you, were you pleased with what came out?
1: I, I was happy with them, most of them, I think, because um, there are few few things that I threw in. And, Work.
0: Yeah, moving on. Like. Is, it, is there a favorite song of yours? that, that
1: In there? Yeah. Of mine? Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, if it's a favorite song, for me, the favorite song is John's I'm Losing You, because it's an yes. incredible song. Yeah. I'm just talking artistically. Of person. course, women, um, <coughs> beautiful boys, beautiful boy, but John, you know, those, those songs, um, on a personal level, it's just um, still hard to listen to, but, I mean, it's something very personal, and I I love them, of course, you know. But uh, I'm Losing is an incredible song sung in a phenomenal way, I think. It's a very strong song.
0: Will will John be known equally for well,
1: well, my favorite song yes. of mine is yes. probably give, give Me Something or Kiss, Kiss, Kiss. I, mean, one yes. I, I
0: was wondering, this is all uh, speculation, will, will he be remembered as much for his own songs and his own career as much as he was known as a part of the the group?
1: I think that... The part of him him that he was repressing, because as a commercial group, that side was something that uh, he couldn't bring out, came out after John and I got together. And he would be remembered for that, too.
0: And more speculation. Had had John continued and been alive and been creating? What, he, what did he want to do? Did he just want to make a record every year and a half? Or was this something he wanted to find new talent, create, write Broadway shows, write opera? What, what would it have been?
1: Well, find new talent is the only thing that I, I don't think Joan would have wanted to do because I know that he was still interested in his own talent. Though um, so he was interested in production end of things, so... I, I would never know. He might have gone into that. I think that um, the planning that we were doing was to um, go on a tour after the Double Fantasy and also to do a, do a musical on, on Broadway called Ballad of John and Yoko. <laughs> surprise, surprise. And, uh, and then we were going to make a
0: film. But that's about all. But that's, yeah. that's, that's your that's hands Oh, that's hands full, that's, that's five then, years. And then while That'd we be- were
1: going to do, while we were doing that, of course, we would have thought of the next album. But we were thinking about Milk and Honey. That was already yeah. set, you know. We were going to make that film, so, I mean, record. Yeah. So after that record, probably we would have done another tour or something. Like that. I don't know how successful we could have been because of the, the kind of planning that he was doing about it, but it might have been all right
0: I have have you retained relationships with the other three from time to time or is it when business calls or was there nothing there to retain?
1: Well, I think that circumstances made us uh, apart, very much apart and also made it very difficult for us to communicate but again, circumstances made us understand each other a lot, you know it's a very complex situation. Um, John and I were probably closer to Paul and Linda's situation more than any other couple in the world. And so we certainly understood what Paul and Linda were going through as as a couple, um, against or with the world, so to speak. And, um, We know each other very well. You know.
0: Has it been tough being? Is it tough being uh, Yoko Ono? Well, I don't I, know any other
1: life, so I wouldn't know. Yeah. Uh, I think that um, I, I certainly got uh, my share of things, <laughs> good or bad. But <clears throat> it's interesting to know that there's so many things that I don't know or I didn't know and every day is a discovery and it's just quite exciting to learn so much yeah. I prefer that than to um, a life where you don't learn after a certain age you know.
0: but you are visible there's Security and there's privacy and there's void uh, arrays and things like that. But, uh, it, it seems like you carry a weight with you. You know, you certainly carry it well, and you go about your. Well,
1: it, it's a different kind of weight, probably. But I think that all of us are carrying some kind of weight, and it's just a matter of a different kind of arrangement, arrangement of life, you know. And um, I have one. Probably a strength about me is that I'm very versatile, <laughs> and this is the the situation now, and I can cope with it. Thank you. in the beginning I was the nervous one. It's too me. It's time to start delegating these things to.
0: Have you? Uh, oh, one have you been in touch with him, with David at all, with with that aspect of it, with the film? Have you?
1: been in touch you know, many times, and I just know—I mean, I'm not trying to sort of call him up every day or anything like that because, you know, I mean, I I'm kind of since uh, he's a very credit person uh, in that field, so I <clears throat> respect that and all that and his way of doing it. But uh, we're keeping in touch just to sort of make sure that we we say hi and.
0: Well, we're doing the soundtrack album uh, with him, with the cuts, that and uh, I, I think it'd be terrific uh, really planning a pre-release campaign. I would love to... I'm going to use Walper himself on that. I'm going to send him around the country because he... Oh, coming
1: in 1990. Yes. Yeah. Around then we should have a real grand... Venue, oh, yeah. That, you,
0: know? you know, you...
1: And he is really very independent, and... I think, I mean, I don't know about other kids so much. Well, I do because of his friends and all that. But I think he's uh, very caring about me. And also because of the big thing that happened to him. There was a shock and a heart.
0: Does he remember much about it?
1: Well, he knows that he doesn't yeah. spot yeah. around.
0: But uh, does he remember any of the hullabaloo that went on? Was he five years old then or something?
1: He, he does, but also it, it was a very big, big thing for him because they were together twenty-four bars a day. And good. So I mean, if it was a puni- punishment, you know, to make him good at this, I mean, it's a very cruel punishment. You don't need that much punishment, right? So he he is very good, very easy to deal with. But somehow I feel like, you know, I wish he wasn't that good, you know, I mean. He's
0: not like a little anybody little. else.
1: But in, in his position, it's good because, first of all, he's just very vivacious and, you know, just a regular boy. But the kind of experience he had was uh, somebody sued us for, his friend sued us for a breaking uh, a bone of fracturing a bone or something in our garden, you know. Yeah. So then I had to tell him, You see this is what happens, so you, you have to be careful. So he wasn't there the time. Yeah. So he has to be careful and it the best shows, oh,
0: uh, Could you ever be married again? I mean that's that's just the first rule.
1: of Apple MacLennan and, yeah. and uh, then the stage sure. you know, in England and here and you know it's just nobody can predict the future.